You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Today's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Livia near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Thanks very much. Daniel, thank you for reading so well for us. And well done with all those place names you've practiced. Good job. Julie May, thank you for leading us in that beautiful prayer. And Mike, thanks for leading us in that cool kid's spot. Anyone else feel nervous when you rip that $50? I think we pay our kids and youth pastor too much. <sighs> Man. Or maybe the budget's too much for kids' ministry. I don't know, but whew, it made me nervous. Oh, welcome to church. It's great to be here. Great to have you all here this morning. Hey, I wonder if you recognize this picture. Very iconic photo. Do you remember it? Do you remember what happened? Very famous, very iconic f- picture. This is US Airways Flight 1549 floating on the Hudson River that is right next to Manhattan in New York. Do you remember what happened? Remember the story? 15th of January, 2009. This flight hit a flock of birds right after takeoff, uh, losing all engine power. And because they were so low to the ground, such low altitude, they were unable to get to any airport. And veteran pilot Chesley Sullenberger, everyone knows him as Sully, there's the great man, had to make a very quick decision of what to do next. Can you imagine the pressure? Just put yourself there for a moment. Really, minutes after takeoff, total engine failure, can't get back to the airport. What are you going to do? In what has now become known as the miracle on the Hudson, Captain Sully made a water landing on the Hudson River, saving all 155 lives on board. Um, Aviation services have called it the most successful ditching in aviation history, pretty simply because landing a plane on water is beyond difficult. Most of the time, it does not end up anything like this. Uh, Most people credit Sully 
for the many, many years of experience he had as a pilot in many different circumstances for the great outcome of that day. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a great movie. Have you seen it? With our good mate Tom Hanks as Sully. It's well worth watching. It's a great film and a great story. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine if that day, 15 January 2009, you hit a flock of birds, the engines fail. Imagine if it was Sully's first day on the job, first day behind the controls. Can you imagine? The outcome probably would have been very different. All right, let's go into the realm of totally ridiculous now. Imagine if you were behind the controls that day. How would you feel? How absolutely ill-equipped would you feel? No experience, no training, no idea what you're doing. Some of you are thinking, that's how I feel every day in my job, but I'm probably not. But imagine that. I mean, just let's, let's think of some other scenarios. Imagine being asked to sing in front of a huge crowd with no voice or no idea how to sing. Hang on, that's karaoke, so lots of you have done that anyway, so maybe that's a bad example. Or imagine having to present on a topic you got no idea. Just last minute, you had to present on economic policy with no financial training. Or imagine you had the responsibility of building a house with no practical experience or training. That would be me. All right. How would you feel? Just imagine any scenario. Imagine any, un, un, imagine undertaking any enormous task without being equipped for it. How would you feel? Totally overwhelmed, wouldn't you? I can't do this. That's how you'd feel. Why are we talking about this this morning? This is what life would be like as a Christian without the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's our topic for today. We're in our great series in the book of Acts. We're looking at chapters 1 to 9 this term. I will build my church. They are the words of Jesus Christ, not me. It's not quoting me. We're going to build the church here in Mossman. No, it's the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. How does he build his church? We're looking at the story of that, the birth of the church in the book of Acts. That's what Acts is. A history of the church, volume 1. And today we're looking at the topic of the Holy Spirit. And we are looking at, men. the Christian life would be utterly impossible, like trying to fly a plane with no engine power and no experience without the Holy Spirit. This is what John Stott says, great theologian, pastor, and thinker. He says this, big words. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Man, that last line makes the point clear, doesn't it? The church without the spirit is dead. The Christian life is impossible without the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's our topic for today. That's how important, that's how significant what we're looking at today, Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is in the history of the church and in our own lives as well. That's how important it is to stay awake for, for the next 30 minutes. So it's really important, but what are we going to learn? Really important, but what are we going to learn today? This is the question I want to look at together. This is it. What difference does the Holy Spirit make? 
When he shows up, what happens? When the Holy Spirit shows up, what happens? What difference does he make? In our passage, well, I'm going to say a lot, but in our passage for today, we see three things. Okay, we're going to see three things. When the Holy Spirit shows up, we see transformation. When the Holy Spirit shows up, we see unity in diversity. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, we see Christ at the center. We're going to dive into our first few verses for this morning. We're going to just look at a little bit that Daniel read for us. This amazing scene, this. Can we read it again together? Because it's amazing. Can we? Let's do it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Luke is the author of Acts and the they he's talking about is the apostles, followers of Jesus, about 120 of them. They're waiting in Jerusalem as Jesus instructed them to do. Luke's describing this amazing event we now call Pentecost. It's amazing, right? It's an amazing scene. Phenomenal. Holy Spirit comes upon them in in a sound like the wind and in a sight like tongues of fire. What are these things? They're representing the presence of God, right? The wind, the power of God. Fire, the purity of God. In the Old Testament, these things were used a lot. You know, think of the top of Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, smoke and fire and a wind. This represents the power and the purity, the presence of God. God's presence coming to earth. What we're witnessing here, it's an amazing scene. But it's even more than that. I want to talk about this for a second. What we're looking at here is a promise fulfilled. This is a promise fulfilled fulfilled. And this is good because if you're anything like me, we are so often tempted to doubt God. Is it just me or we are often tempted to doubt God? We doubt that He is faithful. We doubt that He can make good on His promises. We doubt that our day-to-day life is of any concern to our great God. But prepare to be encouraged because God is a God that makes good on His promises. And at Pentecost, we see this in a mighty way. Okay, ever since the beginning of time, you just open the Bible to chapter 1, verse 1, first page of the Bible, what do we see? We see God desiring to be with his people, to dwell with his people. He creates humans, he puts them in the garden, and then where is God? He is right there with them. He doesn't create, create humanity and then bugger off and say, all the best, I'll check in on you every millennia or so. He desires to be with God And guess what? That's our happy place. That's where we belong. That's where we are most happy, in the presence of God with Him. And that, of course, doesn't take long for everything to go bad. We call it the fall. The presence of God, we have lost His presence. And the Bible, so much of it, deals with lots of questions. And one of the questions is, how are we going to get back there? How are we going to get back there to being with God, our happy place? What's the answer? The answer is God will make a way. God will make a way. 
And we see it right throughout Scripture, through, through the tabernacle and the temple of God meeting with His people. We see it beautifully in Jesus Christ Himself, God, the second member of the Trinity, coming to earth to dwell with His people. And then as He leaves, He makes good on the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit, giving His presence. Incredible. We are witnessing here in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, God making good on his promise to give people his presence. Be reminded this morning, be encouraged that God keeps his word. All right, so what happens when God keeps his promises? Well, let's have a look at our first point. When the Holy Spirit shows up, things don't stay the same. Transformation takes place. Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of of Jesus. And what's the first thing they do? Do you remember? What's the first thing? They speak in different languages. It's amazing. crazy sight, right? It's a supernatural moment, a supernatural, it's a miracle that occurs that allows these followers of Jesus to speak in different languages that they had no ability to speak before. And here's why. This is the reason. It's right there. You can see it. Here's why. It's almost like God had a plan. At that time in Jerusalem, the city's full of people from all over the world. Jerusalem, pretty cosmopolitan city, city, particularly at times where there were these popular festivals. So lots of different people from around the world are here in the city. And these followers of Jesus, they speak in these different languages. These international visitors, they hear the commotion, a crowd gathers, and they say, what's happening here? And then we get verse 6. Let's have a look. They say, these international guests, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. They asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it each of us hears them in our native language? I love this. Aren't these guys Galileans? These poor folks from Galilee did not have a good reputation, right? It's amazing that our Saviour Jesus Christ came from there. Isn't that amazing? But these people from Galilee, they didn't have the most sophisticated reputation. All right, think maybe backward country folk. I'm not going to give a modern day illustration. I don't want to offend anybody. But I know you can, you can do it. I don't want to offend anyone. But these folks, they were, they were known for their thick accent, all right, and their simple ways. People were probably amazed these Galileans could speak their own language well. But this is incredible. Hang on a second. What is going on? They are speaking these languages. They have no business being able to speak. And you know what? If you know much about the Bible, you know this is totally classic. Why? God so often loves to use what the world thinks is weak or foolish to shame the smart. He loves it. See, he could have used smart city people, people like us, people from Mossman, right? He could have used the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the people who studied languages at uni. He could have done that. That would have made more sense. But you know what? Then people would have gone, oh, this is kind of amazing, but not really. It's expected, right? This is classic God. God uses ordinary people who trust in an extraordinary God. That's who our God is. That's what he does. These men are transformed by the Holy Spirit, and it gives God glory. That's how we know it's God, 
You want more proof? You want more proof that when the Holy Spirit shows up, transformation takes place? Let's have a look at our mate, Peter. The disciple, Peter. His first actions when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, what does he do? Now, our reading was a bit shorter today. We looked at verses 1 through 13. If you look at verses 14 to 41, the whole thing is Peter's speech, his sermon. He basically preaches the first sermon post-resurrection, Jesus. And you know what? If you know much about Peter, let's just pause here because this is phenomenal. This is amazing. You know much about Peter? A few weeks before this moment, he was a quivering, broken mess. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was killed, there's Peter with Jesus talking big words in the upper room. But when it came to it, when he got arrested, when people, guards came to take Jesus, he ran away. He was a coward. And then he was a bit worried about his friend. And so he goes to the courtyard where Jesus is near, where Jesus is being held. He warms himself by a fire. And you know what? He's overcome with fear because of the questions of a slave girl. And he denies he even knew Jesus. I mean, everyone knew he knew Jesus. He hung around him for years. He was a Galilean. He had that accent. They knew. But no, 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 I don't know him at all. And then we're left with a picture of Peter, a blubbering and broken mess. But was that the end of Peter? No. You know why? Because God is a God of second chances. And praise God, I for one am very thankful that God is the God of second and third and fourth chances. Amen? See, when Jesus is involved, there is always hope. You look at a hopeless situation... When Jesus is involved, there is no such thing as hopeless. When Jesus is involved, there is always hope. Peter now is redeemed. Now full of the Holy Spirit, he's transformed. Friends, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, whatever that means. This is radical transformation of a broken man into a powerful witness for Christ by the Holy Spirit. It happened then, and guess what? It still happens today. Many of you would have heard of this wonderful woman, Rosa Parks. You heard of her? Best known for helping start the Montgomery bus strike in Alabama during the Civil Rights Movement in the 1950s. At that time, the buses, along with the rest of society, were segregated. That is, most of the south of the United States of America were segregated. And one night after work on a bus, Rosa refused to give up her seat to a white man in the colored section, by the way, she was sitting. She refused to give up her seat to a white man and was arrested for it. There's a picture of her being arrested. Now, we have no idea what that would have been like for a small black woman to defy angry white men at a time like that, at a place like that. No idea. Rosa uh, famously said, 
People always said that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically, or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. No, the only tired I was, was tired of giving in. Love that. You know, what wasn't picked up in the many biographies written about Rosa Parks was her strong, quiet faith in Jesus. Uh, when a facing arrest that night that I've just described and the real possibility of being beaten, Rosa said this. She said, I knew that he was with me and only he could get me through the next step. She went on to say, as a child, I learned from the Bible to trust in God and not be afraid. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. God did away with all my fear. It's a powerful illustration, isn't it? See, when God is involved, when the Holy Spirit shows up, transformation takes place. He can give courage to a small, vulnerable woman living through terrible racism. And he can transform you too. He gives courage in the place of fear, strength in the face of adversity. When the Holy Spirit shows up, what else does he bring? Let's have a look. Unity and diversity. This is what the Holy Spirit brings. Transformation and unity. Now, as we've seen, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Supernaturally given the ability to speak foreign languages. Why? to tell of God's wonders to all the people in the city, right? All the nations had come there. Now, Luke is really, author is really, really keen for us to see how diverse this group of people actually were. Now, they were all Jews, but Jews from, Luke says, every nation. Now, can we just recognize that he's talking about his horizon, not our horizon. Aboriginal Australians weren't there. You know, Native American Indians weren't there, of course. Every nation for him was this, all right? It's the world as they knew. This is the ancient Near East. It's a pretty diverse bunch of people, though. Massively diverse. Now, so what? Whatever, what does that mean? Well, it means that the plans being fulfilled. What did Jesus say to the apostles? Hey, you'll be my witnesses. Where? To the ends of the earth. And looks like to kick things off, the ends of the earth have come to them. And they all hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus in their own language. Incredible. Now, so what? What's so significant about this? Why are we bothering to talk about it? Here's why. Because unlike anything else, Jesus Christ brings people together in unity from the most varied of backgrounds. Right? Hear that clearly. Jesus Christ brings people together of the many and varied different backgrounds. Hang on. Hang on a second. That can't be right because I've heard that Christianity crushes diversity. Doesn't it? I mean, have you heard that before? You know, the, the Christian faith, it's oppressive. It exports Western ideals, Western religion. It crushes other people's cultures, doesn't it? I mean, isn't Christianity like 
a white Western religion tied to cultural imperialism? Have you heard that? Is it? Are these claims true? Well, despite what some might believe, Christianity is the most diverse, multi-ethnic and multicultural movement in all of history. It's a big claim. Really, Dave? Does it stack up? Can we just spend a couple of minutes trying to see if that, that statement is true? Let's have a look at why it, it could well be. Firstly, is Christianity white and Western? Is it? Well, it certainly didn't start out that way. What are we reading right now in Acts chapter 2? The birth of the church? Where was it birthed? In Alabama? No. In Israel-Palestine, where Israel-Palestine is now. Is that the West? Hardly. Is it white? Not really. Right? Didn't start in the West. Yes, Western Europe and Christianity were linked for a long time. But way before that, Christianity has had a rich history in places very far from the West and well before there was anything like a Christian empire. In Acts chapter 8, we'll get there, we see the first African Christian. Acts chapter 8, it's awesome. Now, we don't know what he did with his newfound faith, but what we do know is there's very, very good evidence that by the 4th century AD, Christianity had taken root in Ethiopia and Eritrea. And that's long before a Christian European empire. Long before. There's so many examples I could give, but I don't want to be here all day, so let me just give you a couple. There is no doubt the British Empire has some things to answer for, okay? No doubt. Just no question. Can we just assume that to be true? Pretty awful history around the world. Pretty awful history in India, certainly. But the British did not bring Christianity to India. Gospel came to India many, many, many years before Britain did. Church history tells us the disciple Thomas, right, who hung out with Jesus, took the gospel to India, to the south of India, and set up churches. Now, we've got no way of verifying if that's true or not, but what we do know, we have very good evidence that there were Christian communities in the south of India, but no later than the third century. A long time ago, well before the West. Did you know that the oldest continuous Christian communities in the world are in modern-day Iraq? Huh? Is Christianity white and Western? It certainly didn't start that way. All right, let's just spend another moment talking about this. What about now? What about now? Christianity, white and Western? Yale professor and leading black public intellectual Stephen Carter has observed there is a difficulty endemic to today's secular left and all too frequent weird refusal to acknowledge the demographics of Christianity. He points out that in the US, black women are by far the most Christian demographic, while I'm quoting him here, he says, while around the globe, the people most likely to be Christians are women of colour. He then warns, when you mock Christians, you're not mocking who you think you are. Mm. Christianity, white and Western? Doesn't seem like it. 
China has conservative estimates of about 68 million Christians right now. In the decades to come, they could well uh, take over as the most populated Christian nation on earth. Iran has the fastest growing church in the world. Sub-Saharan Africa has well over 300 million Christians today. Friends, let's not be arrogant and think our culture or any culture owns Christianity because it doesn't. And you know what? That's a really, really good thing because the kingdom of God is rich with many colors and celebrates the diversity of people around the globe. This is a good thing for us. I'll never forget the first time I went to India and visited local churches there. And I tell you what, it was a beautiful mixture of total culture shock and powerful unity. You know, if you've been to India, you know you are overwhelmed with the senses. It is an intense experience. And in their little tin shed churches, I, I, I met people who were, could not have been more different to me in every way you could think. Dress, uh, culture, language. But when we sang... But when we prayed, we sang and we prayed to the same Jesus. And everyone there felt a profound togetherness. When the Holy Spirit shows up, we see unity in diversity. It's what the Holy Spirit brings. And it's beautiful. It's what Revelation tells us. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The kingdom of God is rich. To quote a friend of mine, if you're a racist, you get to hate heaven. It's true, isn't it? Okay, when the Holy Spirit shows up, what else does he do? Brings transformation, unity and diversity. What else? When the Holy Spirit is at work, Christ is at the center. Let's just explore that for a minute. It's our last point. It won't be long. As we've already seen, the Spirit transforms Peter from a blubbering, broken mess into a confident preacher. And what's his message? His message is Jesus. His message is Jesus. Most of chapter 2 is dedicated to Peter's sermon. Weirdly enough, it's called the book of Acts, but about 25% of it is filled with speeches. It's interesting to note as well, I love this, just before Peter preaches, it was the last verse in our reading, it's verse 13. This is Pentecost, right? The giving of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing day in the history of the church. And what happens? There's still some naysayers. Did you see it? Incredible things are happening. 3,000 people come to Christ on the day. It's huge. It's like a normal Sunday for us at Harborside. It's huge, right? It's crazy. And you know what people say? Ah, uh, they're drunk. They're hammered. That's how they try and explain this incredible movement of God. Peter gets up. First thing he says is, they're not hammered. It's only 9 in the morning. Seriously. They're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. They've received the Holy Spirit. God fulfilling his promise. And then he launches into his six-pointed Jesus-centered message. Today we've got three points, okay? I'm loving you by only giving you three points, but Peter had six. 
And here they are. No, I'm not going to do them long. But it's a Jesus-centered message. When the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter becomes a confident preacher. And what's his favorite topic? What's his subject? Jesus. He talks about his life and ministry. And he says he did miracles, which some of you gathered there. Some of you saw them. He talks about his death. He died on the cross. And some of you called out for his death. Some of you right here said, crucify him. Well, guess what? Didn't really work. Didn't take. Yeah, he died, but he didn't stay dead. Death couldn't hold him down. He rose again from the dead. And we've all seen him, and some of you have as well. Where is he now? He's been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and he just poured out the Holy Spirit onto us. That's what you're experiencing. And guess what, guys? He's the Messiah, very important to Jewish people. He's the King, the one we've been waiting for, the one the Old Testament talks about. He's the one. He's the King. He's the Messiah. And what does all this mean? When the Holy Spirit shows up, he puts Christ and all he is, all he's done at the center. But for what purpose? Here's what I want to end with. Here's the pointy bit. For what purpose? To save that's why, to save. It's obvious. We can see it, right? Have a look with me. Verse 37, Peter finishes his sermon, and what's the people's reaction? And what's for lunch? Which is what you're thinking, isn't it? No, I'm kidding. It's not. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Brothers, what, what should we do? How do we respond? And what did Peter say? Nah, nothing. Don't worry about it. Stay the way you are. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Is that what he said? No. Peter said this, people, repent. There's that R word. Ooh, it's so popular, isn't it? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That R word, that repent, I reckon that word gets a bad rap. Here's why. It just means turn around. Metanoia in Greek, it just means turn around. That's all it means. All of us have fallen short of perfection. Can we admit that, please? The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's an understatement. All of us have turned away. All of us, therefore, are far off from God. We're all in the same boat. But guess what? Who's this promise for? Who's this gift for? What does Peter say? It's for all who are far off. What do we got to do? Just stop running away. Turn around. Just turn back to God. And in the name of Jesus Christ, have your sins forgiven because he's the only one that can deal with your guilt and your shame. You can try so many other things. That don't work. Jesus, the death-crushing God-man Savior, is the only one qualified to save. He can do it. When the Holy Spirit shows up, people sense that God and them are not okay. That's the Holy Spirit at work, right? 
The passage says that the people were cut to the heart. What does that mean? It just means at the deepest part of who they were, they felt something's not right. They felt that, you know what, things between me and God are not okay, and I can't leave it till tomorrow. I can't leave it to my deathbed. I can't work this out another day. I've got to do something now. Brothers, what should we do? A response was provoked. When the Holy Spirit shows up, (laughs) he provokes responses. It's what happened to them 2,000 years ago, and guess what? It's happened every single day since. God and me, we need to fix things. Let me ask you, as we close, as we finish today, how have you responded to this Jesus Christ? You know, maybe you're a Christian. You've been a Christian a long time, and you responded a long time ago. You turned around. Wonderful. Praise God. May God fill you with faith in your journey as you keep following Jesus. Maybe you've just recently come to Christ. You've just recently turned around and you've received Him and you're experiencing new life. Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe this very day, the Holy Spirit is provoking you to respond. Maybe right now, in the deepest part of who you are, you are cut to the heart and you are sensing, God and me, we're not okay. We are not close, and I need to do something about that. What must I do? The answer could not be more simple, right? Turn around. Turn to Jesus and receive forgiveness for your sins. He's the only one that can do it. He is uniquely qualified as the Savior of the world. When the Holy Spirit shows up, there is transformation. Amen? When the Holy Spirit shows up, there is unity in diversity. And it is a beautiful thing. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, Christ is at the center to save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can see that when your Spirit shows up, Lives are transformed. Lord, please continue that work in us. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us boldness when we need it. Lord God, we thank you that your family is rich and colorful and diverse, but also enjoys profound unity. And we know that's only through you. Lord, may we here at Harborside embody this truth more and more. And Lord, we ask that in all that we do, you, Jesus, may be at the center as the great answer to the most profound questions we have as you draw to yourself all who are far off. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.